And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now, early on as an entrepreneur, I got the advice that you might not want to take on the giants. The person I'm having a conversation with today ignored that advice if they ever heard it because they are taking on giants. And that's okay because if you have a great offering, you might be able to pull it off. I'll get into the sentiment as to why that advice was good and uh, maybe also why it was ignored by today's guests. And before I introduce who today's conversation is with, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. If you're not aware, that's my company. We love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. So once again, go to Fullscale.io. It really does only take about two minutes to fill out the form and we'll be able to match you up with some great people that can help you out. Joining me today is John Andrew Entwistle, and he is the CEO and founder of Wander. You can scroll down to the show notes and click the link for wander.com. That's W-A-N-D-E-R.com, straight out of one of the weirdest and self-admitted weirdest cities in America, Austin, Texas. John Andrew, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad to to uh, have you join me. Now you can confirm Austin. Austin's still trying to keep it weird, right? Austin is definitely still trying to keep it weird. Places bumping, lots of people moving in. It's a um, yeah, it's a solid place to be. It's a. I've never been to another city that had a slogan on billboards that was said things like "Keep Austin weird." So. <laughs> I embrace it. I like it. Um, all right. So, you know, uh, let's start the conversation with a little bit about your backstory. And and if you don't mind, uh, include a little part. You know, I, I started the show by saying that some of the best advice I got early was to not take on giants. Uh, you're taking on Airbnb with Wander. And that's, a, you know, that's a, that's a big undertaking. Uh, well, Airbnb, Verbo, you know, a couple other yeah. things. Now you've, you've developed quite the, you've accumulated a war chest to do that with, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm curious about what made you want to head into that battle. Yeah. So to quickly share my story, I, uh, I grew up in New York, just North of the city, became an internet kid pretty early, started my first company when I was 13, 14, uh, this little game server company, which uh, did pretty well, like low six figures. And I always like to joke meant that I was not focused on my homework as uh, as you'd imagine. Um, it's interesting. You sort of talk about taking on giants. Um, I remember in that company, uh, we had filed a trademark uh, for a claim that like infringed on um, like one of the big five tech companies. And <clears throat> so at 13, I ended up in this email chain with, you know, 14 lawyers from, uh, from this massive trillion dollar company. And I had no idea what was going on. Right. Um, fortunately my, my pop's a lawyer. And so I kind of CC'd him in and then he, he realized very quickly that, um, you know, I wasn't, 
wasn't looking at like pictures of girls or whatever on the internet that I was, I was working on something else. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, sort of, um, has always been part of the story is, you know, taking on like those big, big competitors and, and going big. Um, but yeah, from there, uh, built a few other small companies throughout high school, out of high school, I started a company called coder, which basically moves the development environment where a software engineer writes code to an organization's cloud infrastructure, um, <clears throat> ended up being pretty successful. We raised about $45 million from GGB, Founders Fund, Redpoint, et cetera, and a bunch of big customers like Palantir, Goldman Sachs. Um, so I ran that company as CEO for the last five years, and then somewhere in between became a Teal Fellow, 30 under 30, all that cool stuff, and stepped down as CEO earlier in 2021. My co-founder stepped into the role and was like, all right, I'm 23, not done building yet. Like, what's what's next? And um, yeah, I had rented this cabin out in Colorado to get away, think about the world, and the whole experience was super broken. You know, place didn't look like the photos, beds were uncomfortable, internet was bad, and you know, I had this idea where if you could verticalize, if you could own the platform, the property management, the asset management, if you could take this you know, very low net promoter score industry that's highly fractionalized and combine those assets, could you develop a strategy that delivered a superior guest experience? And so that's really what, what Wander is and the thesis we started with. And yeah, now here we are uh, 20, 20-ish months later, um, and it's, it's starting to work, which is... Um, always very fortunate in, in startup land. Yeah, and it, I, I'll expand a little bit on the story. So I, my first book that came out, Balance Me, A Realist Guide to a Successful Life, I interviewed a, or had a conversation with, I should say, a guy named Lyrell Holt. And Lyrell was the founder of, of Carstar, which is now the largest auto body repair chain out there. And uh, Lyrell's one of those guys, it's kind of like talking to Yoda or the Oracle, you know, you have to almost like take what he says and like mull it over, piece it together. You might not always know the answer right after, but, you know, I asked him to describe himself as an entrepreneur and he said, well, actually I I'm really kind of a coward. And I said, all right, you're going to need to expand on that. And he says, uh, well, I, I really like to go do things that no one else is doing. And I find a place to do it where everyone will leave me alone. And he said, you know, so not taking on the giants is, has been hit, was his method of doing stuff. And you, and it, it's honestly pretty good advice. I don't think most, I don't think his entrepreneurs were often like, Hey, I'm a coward. I don't, I don't say that, but it's, it's good advice. Like that cowardly approach. Now with Wander, you're obviously taking on some big things. Now uh, you've raised over, you have over $132 million of capital available for various things. So obviously you've got some, some uh, backing in that regard, but you know, when you looked at, I mean, th there's a lot of things in life that are broken. And sometimes I just accept the fact like, well, use Google. I'm not going to probably take on Google anytime soon because it's easy to get crushed underfoot. You know, like you can have a great idea, a great concept and just kind of hard to get things off the ground. So like, was that difficult when it came to wander, when it came to funding wander and when it came to getting support from people? Yeah. So I think the thing that you have to look at is what is the existing strategy that the, the, the large player is sort of taking and are there any sort of um, like critical flaws? And so when starting the company, I mean, first of all, you know, the, the company's purpose wasn't, Hey, we're going to go disrupt Airbnb or VRBO or mm -hmm. PAs. The purpose was customers have an issue with consistency and quality with these vacation rentals. There's bad support. There's just lack of communication. There's all these issues. And if you look at 
like, how could you fix that? You end up having to come to some type of verticalized approach where the platform and the property manager and the asset manager are all the same entity so that they can communicate with each other and deliver a good experience. And so, you know, from, from my point of view, it was really all about solving that customer problem. And that's, that's where the strategy is, is sort of hyper different, right? So even though we're competing with, let's say, an Airbnb from a, you know, user action perspective, from a business model perspective, it's sort of radically different. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would say that that's sort of like the first thing you need to look at is, is what is the general strategy that's sort of being taken there? And, and how can you create your own that um, is hard to disrupt? And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs candidly um, screw up is that they build a feature versus a platform or they build something that's reliant on some other company's decisions. And the moment you do that, then you know you kind of cap how large of a company you can build versus when you say, hey, we're going to basically build this closed ecosystem, then it's just a question of do customers want it? And then of course, can you grow it? So yeah, I'm at, I'm at wander.com right now. And, uh, you know, right here in your, uh, well, semi banner, book a wander smart home with inspiring views, modern workstations, restful beds, hotel grade cleaning, 24 seven concierge. It's a vacation home, but better. Now, I'm into it, man, because I don't actually use the those the, your competitors for that reason. Like it's like, hey, here's a key, or the key's under the mat, or in a lockbox, or something, and then kind of on my own, you know, yeah. past that. And and for me, when I travel, I, you know, I've got 300 employees in the Philippines, and you know, Airbnb and some of that other stuffs over there, but I don't use it because I stay. I'm there for two weeks, and you know, I'm on day four. I'm like needing towels, and it smells like shit in my room mainly because it's hot and sweaty there. And it just, I don't know. It's just like, you know, I, I get it. So yeah, so I, I'm into it. So is that, is that the main, is that the main difference that is that the differentiator is that extra level of, of care? Yeah. I mean, that's really when you sort of look at our, our users, sort of give some, some quick statistics. Um, Wanda has been operating at about a 93% customer satisfaction rate. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think birthdays in the U S are like 89%. So it's something we take like a lot of pride in. Um, and when you ask them, like, why do you love it? Why do you come back and book, et cetera, really it boils down to consistency, quality, and then just the level of care. And there are a lot of things that show up from the strategy that I think people don't necessarily, um, see until they start to spend a little bit of time thinking about it. So for example, uh, when you arrive at a property, a Tesla is there for you in the garage. It's like, okay, cool. That's like a, a nice feature. But then you realize that the only way that's possible is if the booking platform is integrated into it, where you can sign the Tesla agreement and do your insurance. And it's basically like Turo right through the app. Mm -hmm. Or <clears throat> even small things like the guests before you left a comment saying, hey, it would be really cool if there were more kits. And then we can actually go and implement that versus, you know, obviously if you tell, um, you know, some operator at a, at a short-term rental, I'd love if there were smart kits. It's not like they can deploy smart kits across the entire, you know, Airbnb or VRBO portfolio. And so you start to have these like incremental improvements. And it's all around this idea that perfection is possible when you own the hardware and the software. And that's sort of like the approach that Apple has taken is this idea that when you control the platform, you can really iterate towards perfection. It's not that perfection is easy, but the idea is at least like you're in enough control to be able to move towards it. 
is that the actual target objection, like objective is perfection? I mean, the objective is to deliver the absolute best customer experience for the lowest cost that we can while still like building a profitable business. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the, the goal. It's really at the end of the day, all about the customer. So, so are the proprietors uh, of the properties, th those are individual people. That's not you, right? Oh no, that's us. We're the owners. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. So you're, you're a real estate investment. Yeah. So yeah. And, and yeah, okay. I got it. So yeah, they're, they're, actually, that's where the level of control becomes. Cause the question I was going to ask is how the hell do you get quality control implemented across like, cause I, I don't know. The problem with people is people. Exactly. You know, like you're trying to get people to do stuff. And that's the issue. It's like, like you said, it's, I, I don't know, man, trying to get a bunch of people to conform to brand standards or something like that just sounds. Yeah. It's just not uh, possible. Not, not great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just simply not possible. So the, the cool thing with Wander is um, we just launched our REIT, which is the first vacation rental REIT. Uh, and that allows for, really anyone to get access to these sort of institutional grade vacation rentals. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, the cool thing is, is that we're the asset manager as well. So uh, we're the the booking platform or the property management and we're the asset manager. So it really fully verticalized, allows us to keep control, allows for guests to become owners in the product as well as enjoy it. Um, and as long as we keep doing a good job, then the end product is just incredible stays. So well, it allows you to keep a little more of the margin too, I would imagine. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the, the other key thing, right? Is that you need you need a strategy that is scalable and you know, cash flows correctly and otherwise, while of course being asset light and still having all the control. And so the idea that Wander can be as asset light as Airbnb, but have complete control of the entire experience end to end is really like the key underlying thesis around you know the whole idea of Wander. Yeah, we, you know, honestly, we do the same thing at full scale. It's uh, that people often want to compare us to, you know, Upwork or places like that. And we're not, I mean, those are, there are employees and always will be because the level of control and quality assurance that we can provide is significantly higher and other things too. Like you just look at like intellectual property control, yeah. you know, like it's, that's, it would be impossible to do. Regardless of what these marketplaces say, that's impossible to enforce across hundreds of countries. Just Absolutely. forget about it. It's not going to happen. So, you know, being able to do that. Yeah, there is. You talk about asset light. I mean, yeah, there is a liability of having a bunch of employees. It's also have the ability to kind of do things the way that you want. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. You know, yeah. Like I, I, yeah. yeah, there's an interesting. So I always go back to this interview that happened a long time ago with Jeff Bezos and the interviewer was asking him, he's like, you own a bunch of warehouses, et cetera. Um, so it's not a pure internet play. And Jeff Bezos goes like, I don't, uh, I don't know if I can curse. He says like, you can curse, you okay. can totally curse, go for well, it. It's a quote anyway. So yeah. he says, I don't, like, I don't give a shit if, um, if, you know, it's a pure internet play. The only thing that I care about is if I'm delivering the best product to my customers. And I think that, like that dynamic gets lost a lot of times. Now, that's not to say that entrepreneurs should ignore whether or not your strategy is scalable, whether or not the positive economics are, are scalable. But like, you do need to think about what, like, what is the customer actually buying? Because it's very easy to come up with the most scalable like model in the world, but like no one wants it. Yeah. So there's sort of a, a balance there. And then you also have to ask yourself too, like, 
what is your time horizon? Like for Wander, like we think that if we do this correctly, it can be a really impactful company over the next you know few decades. And so, you know, when you have a longer term vision, then the idea of having that control, having that quality, building that community, building that brand, um, you know, is, is something that's really, really critical, especially to the point of competing against giants. I mean, if Wander just went out and launched another short term rental marketplace, like it's like, so what? But the idea that we're able to deliver something that's radically better and um, you know, higher quality and better for guests, like that's that's what's making people excited. So, yeah, well, so you're I mean, really what this is, is and you know, I'm not trying to continue to shell full scale here, but we tell people right away, we're like, we're a premium service provider. If you're looking for the cheapest thing out there, that's not us. You know, yep. like it's a little more white glove. And well, what are we paying for? We're paying for the fact that we only hire one in 35 applicants. You're, you're paying for the 34 people we didn't choose, you know, and some of that is, and there's a lot, I, I found that there's a lot of people that uh, there's a huge segment of business, but B2B and B2C transactions is that's what they want. I've kind of, uh, I, I tried to not sound super bougie here, but I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like the, you know, I kind of had that same experience that you had before you started the company. It's kind of like, what am I doing here? You know, like you're in this place, it's just empty. There's no help. There's no service. It just makes me want to go back to a hotel. Um, yeah. I don't personally agree with the approach that a lot of VC and companies have to that whole asset light or asset zero kind of thing. Cause I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this and I'm thinking, man, this place is going to own a billion dollars in real estate in 15 years, if it yep. even takes that long. And when you look at, uh, you know, all of the turmoil and different things that have gone on in VC and funding and, and whatever, well, you know, software with Silicon Valley Bank gone now, yep. where are people going to get a loan for an emerging software company because banks don't want to give money to people that don't have assets and they don't look at code and a server as assets. They look at revenue minus expenses and that's where, where you're at. So there could be some pretty specific advantages to that. And Yeah. The key is, I mean, a lot of these companies, like I said, like they prioritize the business model and then what you end up with is a company that just lacks a moat. And I think yeah. you see a lot of that, right? I mean, how many companies have we seen gone public over the last two or three years that are down 90 plus percent because there's no moat, right? It was just an idea, solid distribution. Then all of a sudden, like that idea was proven. Competitors entered the market or like existing larger. I think that also goes back to your comment around competing with giants. They look at an industry and say like, how can we crush this? And so you need to have a real strategic moat. Like in Wander's case, right, the beautiful thing is, is that at the end of the day, someone can copy our brand, they can copy our booking platform, property management, they can go and launch a REIT, they can do all these things. But at the end of the day, the homes themselves, beachfront in Oregon, et cetera, are only going to exist on the Wander platform. And so you need to have some type of control. In your case, it's your, it's your team, right? It's the employees. Like those people are only at your company. And so I think that that's what a lot of founders mistake and so i think if you can build a asset light business that has that control and moat great go for it but if you don't then you know you're just sort of um you're building a house of cards candidly and at some point you know it's going to get windy out and this is a great example from a market perspective of you know what happens when it's windy yeah i want to take a second and for those that are listening and might not be aware of what moat means. That is your, the distance that you are away from the competitors that are nipping at your heels, basically. And 
you'll look at, you know, if you look at publicly traded companies and a lot of companies like that, you'll see that they'll often have a little tag when you, when you scroll down and look at, at their market cap and a bunch of other stuff, a lot of it will say, you know, moat and uh, who has a wide one and who has none. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. So we're not actually talking about something that alligators swim in and that we have a, a drawbridge that comes down, but. Well, you can kind of even like visualize it like that, right? Yeah. It, it, it's the defensibility yeah. of your business. And when there's like a war raging outside of your kingdom, like, is that going to affect your business? Yes or no. And there are lots of different types of moats, brand moats, strategic moats, distribution moats. And so the more of those that you can stack up, then, you know, the longer your business is going to be able to last. Yeah. And so, well, I'll give you an example. So I just Googled, you know, high moat companies like Apple's on the list. Yeah. And like, that's a good example. I mean, I'm a good example. I'm using a Mac. I was calling on my iPhone earlier. My kids have an iPad. They have all the other generations. And like, that's the thing is it's almost like, you know, I, when I go to shop for a phone or a computer, I'm not out looking at Windows machines because I'm conditioned. Yeah. It's an ecosystem. I'm I'm assimilated already. So yeah, it's a great, I mean, when you think about it, like Steve Jobs was always big into this idea of owning the hardware and the software. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you could do both, then you were able to control the quality, you were able to control the ecosystem. And then what you also came up with was this idea of distribution, which Apple has really leaned into now, right. In terms of distributing Apple TV and Apple music and all these different services, because now they have that distribution mode beyond just the strategic and ecosystem one. And so that's really what we're trying to model wander off of as well, is that we own the hardware, the actual homes, we own the platform. So <clears throat> we're able to integrate the two. And then what you end up having is a lot of you know customer data that you're able to then distribute products and services to the, you know, so far 150,000 people who've, who've signed up for Wander. And so like, I think that, Again, tying together all those moats is 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 really critical if you sort of want to go big, if you want to create a you know billion dollar plus company. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I got a couple of questions about raising capital at at your age. Uh, before I before I ask those questions, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the FullScale platform to define your technical needs and see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit FullScale.io for more. Uh, all right, so you're in your mid twenties. You sound like you got after it at an early age. I don't talk to a whole lot of people that launched companies in their early, as they became teenagers, um, I would imagine that probably helped, but you know, when it comes to raising the kind of capital that you've raised, uh, you know, what, what did you have to go through to do that? Did you find that the, your age was a benefit or a drawback? Like how, what, how, how was that? How was that? What's the unfiltered version? Once again, you can swear because I think raising capital usually makes people swear. So does entrepreneurship. That's why we just mark every episode explicit. By the way. <laughs> Trying to get through an episode and not dropping f bombs is is tough. But yeah, so I mean, when I when I started um, Coder with my with my co founders, we were seventeen. Right. And what did that do? What was that platform? Uh, that's the one that basically it's a cloud development platform. So it moves the development environment, basically like the engineer's computer to an organization's cloud infrastructure. Mm. Um, so basically like rather than coding on your local computer, you're coding on this remote machine. Um, there's a whole bunch of benefits to that. It's like developer security, productivity, all that sort of cool stuff. Um, 
but yeah, when we, when we started that company, um, I mean, we obviously had like no idea what we were doing. We had like the basis of like scrappiness and entrepreneurship just because we had been working together online since we were 13, sort of how we, how we met, um, Kyle, Kyle was, uh, Kyle, I, I had met and hired him as an engineer and then Amar was our system administrator. And then we kind of like, um, even though we were a thousand miles apart, just like spent our youth, uh, building, but yeah, in terms of raising capital for that, for that company, you know, we had like basically like bootstrapped friends and family, like a little team built the initial idea. And then I was like, okay, like we need to raise capital. Um, because it was a very hard and big idea, um, especially when you look at the customer set, right? If you need to build a product that's going to be consumed by Goldman Sachs or Palantir, um, it has to be good. Um, it has to be institutional grade. And so, yeah, I mean, candidly, like I didn't have a network, didn't have a LinkedIn. It's not like my pop was like some Silicon Valley VC, you know, he's a single dad lawyer, like, you know, top tier guy, but, um, wasn't in that world. And, um, and so, yeah, it was really cold emailing every single person in the Valley. Um, even like we use Google cloud at the time and I harassed our Google cloud sales rep to introduce us to Google ventures, which like kudos to him. Like he actually got it done, which was like wild. Um, and so really it was just like a pure hustle, like just running around, meeting everyone who could emailing everyone, like putting together materials, trial by fire. And of course, you would imagine tons and tons of stories about folks being like, um, you know, just kind of like, you know, like an episode of Silicon Valley, like just like shitting on us. Like I remember one, I remember one meeting, Amar and I went up to San Francisco. Um, so we flew into San Francisco, uh, went to like the top of this massive tower. So we were shocked, right? Like 17, 8 year old kids, like we we're like, wow, this is crazy. Um, sit down with the VC and Amar at the time um his laptop like ran linux like and it was like um like would constantly run out of battery because like the power management with linux is just it's just not meant for like you know throwing it on a laptop and um and so we start the demo and amar's laptop just dies like mid-demo right and it's funny because we're pitching this whole new idea of cloud development and so it's like you know hey like uh, like, you know, your, your development's in the cloud, but yeah, it's like, if your computer goes out, like you can't, you know, you still can't develop. Um, and that, like that VC, like just kind of like tore us apart, um, as you, as you would imagine. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up, we ended up getting the round put together. So we, um, the product had launched after like three months of fundraising and, um, we actually like, we're running really close to the sun. We had like I don't know, maybe like a few months of burn left. Like it was like, you know, have to get something done. Um, I actually remember like just laying in my bed at night, just like scared out of my mind. Like if we were going to be able to like continue building the company. Um, and, uh, and we did, we launched the platform and people loved it. And all of a sudden like VC started to take, take notice of the fact that like these kids were just pulling ridiculous hours and like actually making a real product that people are really excited about. And we ended up raising our seed that was led by Redpoint and, and Uncork. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was hard. I mean, like we would, we would fly back from San Francisco after a VC pitch land at three in the morning and we'd have a list of questions that they wanted answered and we would flip the answers to them at five in the morning. We just wouldn't sleep. 
and then like he would start work the next day in the office. Um, so it was, it was a huge lift and we had to prove ourselves, um, and keep proving ourselves. Like that's the, um, you know, obviously like that's just the start. Right. And then you need to build a company and do well by your employees. And I think that that's like why, um, you know, when I started Wander, I was so lucky is that, you know, all of coders investors were very keen to work with me again. Um, I think it's because they, they, they recognize that, like, I, I take it super seriously when someone invests. Um, it's like, you're, you're a fiduciary, to, like you, like they're giving you their hard earned money, like, or their LPs, which could be like a pension fund or otherwise. And you see so many founders who like, don't recognize that, right. They just go and book like first class on their corporate credit card to like Bora Bora. And, um, it's just not correct. Um, and obviously again, like talking about what happens when it gets windy, like those companies just don't make it. So when it comes to raising capital, what's some advice you could give to someone who hasn't done it before? I mean, the best, the best advice candidly is that you have to, um, you have to ask, um, like, I think a lot of people get like tied up and sort of like planning and thinking and putting together a pitch deck and like, okay, we're going to start on this date. Like you really just need to start the process. And so throw together the materials, create like a short list of the people that you want, or it could even be a broader list and just start, start pitching. Um, the other thing that you have to do as well is recognize that it's probably going to be a two or three month process. And so you also need to make significant progress in your business while that's happening because investors are going to look at the progress you're making while they're thinking about it and use that as a gauge of like whether or not you actually have what it takes. So that would be my advice. And then there's some like other optimizations you can do. Like, uh, like I mentioned, Google Ventures was one of the first firms that we pitched and as you would imagine, it was terrible. It was a terrible pitch. Um, and so it's like, you know, maybe practice on like, you know, some other folks before you like take the meeting with Sequoia or Google Ventures or something like that. Um, but that's more like optimizing. That's that's a little like too strategic, especially if it's your first time. It, I'm going to point out a couple things for people listening here because, you know, the, some of that sounded super simplistic like, Hey, practice your pitch. It's amazing how many people don't, Yeah, you know, like, I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm in Kansas city. And one of the things that I'm associated with is the Kansas city economic development corporation, which gives away a bunch of like $50,000 grants every year. And I actually coach the, so they do demo day and they get a minute and they send all of the cohorts through for a day of coaching with me. And I'll tell you what, that pitch in the morning is a lot different than it is by the end of the day. And at first, it's kind of funny because, and if any of you folks are listening, remember I'm making this statement out of love and nothing else, but your pitch sucked when it came in. And some of the people, they, they're a little like, they're a little defensive about it, you know? And, and I'm like, you have one minute and, you know, and that's not a lot of time. And, yep. you know, some of that, it's like, you got to lead with the need, like get people's attention right away. You're going to be a room in that particular case. They're in a room of like 200 people that are there talking to each other. And if you don't get that attention right away. They're just off to the bar, the bathroom, they're fucking around doing something else. But, but yeah, I end up with, you know, sometimes having to fight through that in the beginning, I end up with a bunch of thank yous by the end of the day. Then I go to the actual event and I'll see all of them. And they're like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I did that. Like, Cause you can actually see faces pointed back at you as opposed to like, then there's always a couple people that didn't show up to the coaching. And, um, 
yeah, sometimes their pitches are good, but sometimes they're not. So yeah, yeah but it's, but it's a practice thing. It's a exactly. practice thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's like everything that you do, right? It's like um, you can't be asking for millions of dollars for your company and, and not have your shit together, right? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And it's also re- candidly, it's representative of like what's actually happening behind the scenes as well. Yeah. It's like you know, if your if your pitch isn't polished, then is your product polished? Is your customer support yeah. polished? Like. Are you, know, you polished? You? Yeah, exactly. What can I expect from you as an entrepreneur? So yeah, it's important. I think a lot of folks um, kind of write it off. But I mean, the, the way to think about it is everything that you do needs to be the best. And when you're asking for money or asking for customers or anything like that, like, you know, anything but the best is, um, it's just not going to get you there. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard work. There's just no shortcuts. Um yeah, I have, a, I have a couple more comments while we're on that subject. So first off, get to the point. Assume that you're talking to type A people. Like, you know, I, I got a buddy that's a VC and, and he'll tell me, he'll be like, if they have 10% of my attention, they've done pretty well. You know, so you got to get that attention right away. And then, you know, you mentioned earlier the difference between like creating a feature and creating a platform. And that that is kind of a trigger for me because one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand is no one buys your features, they buy the benefits. So yeah. be prepared to explain what the benefit of whatever it is your built has for the users, why that's valuable, um, why there's a large total addressable market. And don't be afraid to sell people on your big vision. Like if you exactly. go and meet with a VC and you're talking, you're, hey, you know, we're, we want $50,000. Like I know, dude, I don't even know a lot of people that write checks that small. And, you know, so some of that is selling that big vision and, and honestly have your shit together, be prepared to keep it moving. And I, I don't know, dude, I, I, I see you're a, you're a fellow in the Thiel, uh, uh, fellowship and, and a bunch of other stuff. Like when you hear a nice tight pitch and it's right to the point and it's like short, do you kind of say to yourself, are you like, thank you? Thank you for not making me sit here for 20 minutes and wonder what the fuck it is that you actually do. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, um, my favorite thing is that, cause I'm invested in probably like 30, 30 different startups, um, mostly like friends, companies, people I meet. Yep. And, um, my favorite thing is when I can figure out what they do before I talk to them. Um, like that's the dream, right? Yeah. It's like, you can actually go to a website, you can like take a look and it's like easily understandable. Um, and yeah, you have to, you have to speak clearly. I mean, don't use, you know, $50 words when a $5 word is going to work perfectly fine. Talk about what the product is very simply, what the customer wants to your point, and then have a vision. Because especially when it's an early stage company, like that's that's what people are really investing in as well. They're investing in you as an entrepreneur, they're oh, yeah. investing in the market and the thesis, but then they also want to hear a vision and how you get there. And so like, and if you don't have a vision, like think about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super, super important. Well, you had another good point. You know, investors are investing in you as a founder and your ability to figure it out yep. and be a leader and just be a little bit different. You know, you mentioned Silicon Valley earlier, the show, and it's got, there's so many fun and interesting lessons that you can take out of that series. And some of it, you know, they're talking about standing out and, you know, Ehrlich Bachman's kind of known for, for that. But you yep. remember the guy now a lot, maybe not for the reasons that you want <laughs> to, but, but yeah, but that's the thing is, you know, be, be memorable and stand out. I think if you show up with a meek 
you know, energy. And I don't know, people want to see you be confident in what you're doing. And also at the same time, not be so confident that you're not, that you're going to refuse any kind of input. Yeah. That's, that's a, I think, I think a challenge. Like in the early stages of a company and for early investors, they're also betting that you're going to be able to raise capital in the future. Oh yeah. And that you're going to be able to hire a great team and you're going to be able to convince that one executive to come and join your company. Like, there, there are a lot, there are so many variables for an early stage founder that the boxes need to be checked. And if you don't have an existing track record, you have to show that to them. And you have like, it's not like even one pitch candidly is going to get it done. Like maybe there's, there's enough interest for them to like take a second look. And then maybe there's enough interest after that for you to get a diligence list of questions. And then maybe there's a reference call. And then like, maybe there's like some customer interviews like it's a real like in-depth process and you need to, you need to show up. I mean, it, it, so, it so you mean I don't just upload my 60 page business plan and get a check back in the mail a couple of days later. That's not how it works. Although, although that seems to be the storyline that like, it's never the storyline. <laughs> like maybe, like maybe one out of a hundred companies, that's like the funding story. Um, Dude, I bet it's more like one out of 10,000. Yeah, candidly. I mean, I, unless you are like so proven that it's just like, hey, like, you know, people are, I, yeah, because my point is no one wants to see your 60 page anything. Yeah. It's not a one pager. You can't, if you can't clearly define what you want to do, what you want to get done and what you need on the front of a piece of paper, then it might be too complex, man. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I would leave people with is when you get questions during your pitch, that means that like they're interested or well they're interested yeah. but i would also say that like the goal is is to to answer the questions as they come into people's mind mm-hmm. like ideally you finish a, a slide and then like someone has a question in their head and then the next slide is the answer to that yeah or your voiceover helps tell that story so that at the end people are able to ask questions about the future and exciting ones as opposed to these like nitpicky objections And so that's really critical. And the other thing I would say is that, like, don't just focus on answering the questions, understand the questions, because there's a very good chance that one of those questions is actually what goes and kills your company. And so Mm -hmm. if you can identify that risk now and fix it, I mean, that's, that's gold. My advice is to listen for, you talk about reps and practice and input, and let's just say you give 10 pitches. If there's an echo, like the same question is getting asked again and again, the same objections, the same everything, then you need to go into presentation 11, handling that objection and getting that right out. You know, it's like, so just to use full scale as an example, people ask all the time, they're like, your employee, your developers are in the Philippines. And so one of the most common questions that we get is, do they speak English? So we say, we just tell people that right away, you know, and this isn't the same as, I mean, a pitch to a prospective client isn't a whole lot different than to an investor in regards. You're trying to state your case about why you're providing value. And that's an example of like, and there's like three or four things that five years later, people just keep asking. So a good presentation, as you mentioned, either handles that in the next in the next slide, or you can just get it out of the way. You can disarm these objections like immediately. Cause there's the thing, a confused mind almost always says no. So if you come in and confuse the people you're talking to, or you're trying to sell to, it's probably game over. I think probably. that's a candidly one of like the most uh, powerful quotes that I've heard in a long time that, that a, a confused mind is most likely going to say no. 
Yeah, I'd love to take credit for writing that myself, but I don't I don't know who wrote it, but someone else did. I picked it up along the way because, well, I used to be a sales trainer like way mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, you know, I look back, I'm old now, man. Those are 20 years ago. But but yeah, that was the thing because I, so I actually worked in the music industry and a lot of people that work at, it was, I was worked for Roland and they make musical instruments. So like five, six billion a year, no big deal, right? But people would come in the store, like a mom would come in looking for a guitar for their kid and some dude that's like, uh, 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 like 10% of a rock star on the weekends is just blowing this mom away with like all these things that an amp will do and these pickups do this. And she's like, I just want to get the kid in guitar lessons. Yeah. You know, so they talk, they talk their way out of the sale and complicate things, talk over the buyer's head. And just like, I don't know, it's back to that features and benefits. Like what that lady wants to hear is that the kid's going to enjoy it. It's going to be affordable, that it's what they need when they show up to day one of lessons, that it's not going to be a money pit, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. And, you know, that's, that's the same kind of stuff. All right. So we're here at the end of another amazing episode. This has been a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed this. Uh, before we do the founders freestyle, I'd like to give all my guests that are founders a chance to uh, make their closing remarks or statements. Uh, before we do that, quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Fullscale.io, there's a link in the show notes as well as a link to wander.com, W-A-N-D-E-R.com. So for your version of the Founders Freestyle, what, what, have you, what, what stood out in our conversation? What advice do you want to give? Is there something you forgot to mention or say? It's your freestyle, so you, you can rock it however you want. No, I think, um, I think this was a great, a great conversation. I think we covered a lot of really fascinating topics from moat to preparing for your pitch to thinking about the strategy for your startup. And ultimately, I think the, the most valuable piece was really around the idea of you have to build something that customers actually want. Um, you're not you're not building necessarily just a business model. You're building a product that that folks can love and enjoy. And um, and yeah, hopefully that that helps some of the listeners out. Because um, yeah, I certainly wish that I had, I had heard this podcast early in my uh, entrepreneurial career. So yeah, we specialize in realism here. Just say it. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple things on the way out. Um, I think there was definitely some great input about raising capital. Um, and for those of you that are regular listeners, it's a recurring theme. I mean, it's the same people that have raised a lot of cash, giving the same kind of input and advice. There's your echo is my point. Um, in regards to, we talked about taking on giants. I think sometimes, so you kind of are and you aren't at the same time because it's easy to look at something like Wander and say, oh, is this just an Airbnb competitor? No, man, that's after this conversation. It's fundamentally very different. You talk about like, I've never been to an Airbnb that gives me a charged Tesla. I'm into that. I own two Teslas already. Like the idea of having a familiar car, I'm also pretty green in life. I I like that. Um, And then that that idea of uh, just a little bit more of a premium white glove-ish experience is is better. Because like the last thing I want to do when I go on vacation is go out grocery shopping. Yeah. On my first day or like hope that there's pots or pans or like, I don't know, man, it's like anything. And, 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 you know, that's not for everybody, you know, so that's fine. But as a, as a startup founder and a business decide on, make a decision about who your potential clients, customers, and users are, 
and make a move for that. If there's something different, like, I mean, I'm, you're very aware that not every use, like a lot of the people that are on Airbnb, they want the $32 a night booking. Absolutely. That's not your user. That's okay. That's okay. Know who you're trying to sell to and cater your service offering or your product to who those people are and continue. I like, I, I agree and disagree with the perfectionism thing. Cause I, every time I take a personality assessment or get them, they're like, you're a perfectionist. I'm like, thank you. And I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, so there's like, you know, that your strength and your weakness often hold hands when they walk down the street together. So just accept that. And Absolutely. Congrats on all the success. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I make it down to Austin sometime. I'll book a wander yep. and then we'll stop by and, and say, hi, man. So thanks Hello. again for the time. I'll catch up with you down the road. Wonderful. Thank you so much, sir. Pleasure. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.